Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hey everybody, what is going on? Steve Say for Talking Comics. Today we are joined by Curtis Clow. Curtis is a writer of comics and video games, is a master of the art of Kickstarter, and could assuredly whoop my ass using jujitsu or Muay Thai. Curtis, thank you so much for joining us. Hello Steve, thanks for having me. Awesome. So while we're on the subject of martial arts... Uh, because I made it the subject. Can you tell me when you began studying the methods above, and do you uh, prefer one over the other? I love both. Uh, I do jujitsu, wrestling, Muay Thai. Uh, so kind of all three are, are a lot of fun. And I started training in my early 20s. I'm 29 now, so probably like maybe seven years ago or so. Uh, you know, some injuries here or there, torn ACL and jujitsu. Um, had surgery a few years ago. But uh, yeah, the, no, they're a lot of fun. They're both very different. Like I know some people have a preference, but Muay Thai, it, like scratches one edge, just hitting pads and stuff. It's very satisfying. But then jujitsu is kind of fun in like wrestling because you can go all out. You don't have to like hold back, but you don't have to worry about hurting anybody. You're not punching or kicking anyone. And it's just like straight grappling. So they both have their ups. That's awesome. I did karate as a kid for a couple of years. <laughs> I was very bad at it because I have a terrible memory. I've always had a terrible memory. Uh, and it was it became quite embarrassing when I would have to do my katas for like tournaments and would just black out like three moves in and then just make it all up right on the spot. And then you tie with somebody and you have to go again. And you perform a completely different routine and they know it and you know it. And it's- That's funny. No, it's a lot of memory. Yeah. Like you're learning in jujitsu, you're learning moves, you're training it over and over again. And then like once you go live, you feel like you just forgot like what you learned and you can't even remember it. But I think uh, I play a lot of chess too. And like the, what they say is if you can teach somebody else the, the move, that kind of ingrains it in your memory. So if you could go back in time and try to teach somebody, then maybe you would have uh, remembered it then. I have to break out the Simpsons chess set and find out what's up. <laughs> All right, let's see here. So um, these are just a few warm-up questions before we get to the good stuff. You've contributed to video games like Dead Time Defenders and The Pauldron. Uh, are you a gamer in general, and what is your platform of choice? Yeah, big-time gamer. Uh, I love uh, story-focused games. I try to stay away from multiplayer stuff just because it takes up too much time. It can be very addictive, but... Uh, I have all of them. I got Switch, PS5. I got the new Xbox. I have Steam on my computer. Uh, But I probably play on consoles more than on the computer. I try to keep just uh, work stuff on the computer. But yeah, I got everything. And I play all of the uh, big story games. Are you playing anything right now? 
Yeah, I'm still playing Hor- Horizon Forbidden West. I've been playing it since February. Ah, so am I. Okay, it's such cool. a long game, and like I have to play it in my free time. And I'm, you know, with all the work, then it's hard to like have time to complete it. But I think I'm like towards the later half of it, uh, getting close to the end. But it's a great game. Yeah, huge RPG. Nice. Yeah, I uh, I'm in the middle of that one now. I'm probably a good like 15 hours in or so. I started playing it, and then I stopped for Elden Ring. And I put like 138 hours into Elden Ring, ended up platinuming it. And now I'm going back to Horizon. Uh, it's cool. Yeah, they both came out around that same time. And I'm, I'm like the opposite. I, I just wanted to finish Horizon first and then try Elden Ring. But uh, it's like, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to finish Horizon. But I, I've never gotten into any of the From Software games. I'm excited. Uh, I hear good things of, uh, of Elden Ring. Like I, I, You always hear good things of these From Software games. But this looks like one that I think I might actually get into. For sure. Yeah. I mean, in my personal opinion, that's the one, like if you're going to dip your toe into that pool, mm-hmm. I, that that's the one that I would recommend just because it's, it's got the most variety and it's certainly the most refined when it comes to its systems and the character builds and stuff like that. Um, they've learned from a lot of their, I wouldn't say mistakes necessarily, but they, they've learned a lot of lessons right. from the past. I'm excited so to try it. I, it looks like such a cool world, like that dark fantasy vibe. Very cool. Oh, it's amazing. It's it's fantastic. And there's such like there's such emergent gameplay moments that you you find a lot of stories within the gameplay itself outside of the actual story that's going on because you won't hit story beats for hours because you're just exploring or doing things or whatever so it could be like 17 hours before you see another cutscene. right yeah i used to like games like that used to just be too overwhelming for me like i would love like those more straight up story driven games like uncharted and the last of us but lately i've been getting into those more exploration and bigger rpg games uh i played one called sable have you ever heard of that on xbox yeah, yeah. loved it that was probably yep. one of my favorite games in the past year that one and the pathless also love that one. Oh, i love the pathless uh, yeah I, I you don't hear enough about that that was uh i mean that's probably one of my Seriously. favorite games of all time oh it's so great i love that game i love that game so much um and all right we could talk about this until <laughs> yeah. come home. i'll hit you up on twitter we'll we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk there definitely all right so every time that we host a new guest we like to start by asking them about their comic book origin story how did you first discover comics and how did your passion for telling stories evolve into making that your life yeah, I uh, I got comics as a little kid at Borders. I didn't really know like where any comic shops were around me or if I had any. So whenever I would go to Borders, it was like a music store on the East Coast. And uh, oh, I remember Borders. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yep. I would try to grab like Wolverine or Spider Man, but I wasn't like an avid comic reader or anything. I just felt drawn to them. I was was curious about them, and but I never read anything like monthly. And uh, I guess ever since I was a little kid, I was into writing stories and always knew I wanted to like make a living creatively, whether it was through video game stories or some other medium. And then like late teens, early 20s, that's when I started reading a lot of image and indie comics off Kickstarter and really fell in love with the medium and and got obsessed with it, I guess. And that's when I knew it was going to be comics for my career. Right on, man. You mentioned the East. Are you from out East originally? Yeah, I am. I grew up in, in lived my whole life in Maryland, and I uh, moved okay. out to California on my own when I was 19. Nice. I lived in Long Island, New York for like 36 years, and then I moved to Canada to be with my wife. Nice, nice. Yeah, I love it here. It's awesome. 
Okay, so as I mentioned in the introduction, you are a comics creator who's unleashed such titles as Majestic, The Wild Cosmos, and Beastlands. You currently have a Kickstarter running for your latest series, Slightly Exaggerated. Can you give our listeners the elevator pitch for the series and tell us how the project came together? Yeah, so Slightly Exaggerated is a uh, fantasy action adventure. It's kind of more of like a whimsical fantasy world with a lot of weird stuff like flying sea creatures, uh, talking animals, uh, a creepy tree lady, just all kinds of like weird fantasy <laughs> stuff. We, we There's always one of those. Yeah, always. We, uh, you know, with the title Slightly Exaggerated, we just really wanted to exaggerate this world and go all out. Um, but it's also has a lot of deeper themes like death and religion and questioning uh, what you've been told and leaving a legacy. So it's kind of a mix of those. On the outside, it looks like this like fun over the top world. But uh, I guess if you, you actually read the book and can pick up on some of the deeper themes, it has a, a lot going inside of it as well. Very, very cool. So you name drop a many of my favorite things in the series description, including Avatar The Last Airbender, one of the all-time greatest animated series ever, uh, Tomb Raider and Uncharted. You also mentioned comics like Isola and Deadly Class and Saga and Step by Bloody Step, which very nice. That <laughs> I just that just ended this week, and I'm I'm so pumped to go through it all again and, and finish it. In what ways does slightly exaggerated compare or take inspiration from this murderer's row of pop culture goodness? Yeah, I mean that's just some of my you know some of my favorite stuff. So it's hard for that stuff not to uh, influence my work or inspire me. And Studio Ghibli is also another thing that all of their films really inspire my work. Just from growing up with those that uh, all those great animated films. But uh, I guess just they're they're set in these like weird fantasy worlds that it it doesn't like hit you over the top with exposition and explain it. You're just kind of on this character driven story with them, like especially like Step by Bloody Step and uh, Isola, um, where you you know you're just on this character journey. It's not you're not going to get like a paragraph of uh, exposition explaining why things are, but you kind of it kind of unfolds during the story as you read it. Yeah, I noticed in Beastlands and in the sample pages for Slightly Exaggerated that you like to just get right into it, like from the the get-go. Yeah, you know, I, kind I, of I think the opening go- is, is so important to like try to hook the reader and just kind of like throw you right into the world. And I mean, it, it might not be for everybody for that style of storytelling, but that's just what I like. So it's kind of my writing style where you get thrown into the world and just figure it out as you go. Indeed. All right, let's see. So the description for Slightly Exaggerated says the story deals with many more profound, more uh, more mature subjects. As you mentioned, uh, themes like dying, leaving a legacy, religion, and questioning what you've been told. Uh, first of all, you're speaking my language. <laughs> Se- second of all, what is it about the realm of fantasy that you think lends well to telling a story like this? Yeah, I mean, that's just stuff that I love to write about. It's it's what I think about a lot in life. So it comes out a lot in my stories, uh, death and the afterlife and just this thing that's going to happen to us all one day. But I feel like fantasy is a good, I mean, I I pretty much exclusively write sci-fi and fantasy. It's just what I love. So it's, I'm always thinking of these high concept ideas. And I think fantasy lends itself to that because you can just go over the top to like really, uh, I guess, to really express those themes, like, like slightly exaggerated is this world where, 
you have this crazed cult leader after this gem trying to become a new god and you have these religious zealots who are kind of like the guardians where uh, religion's the law and if, if you go against religion or don't believe in it you could be arrested so it's just uh you could just you know you could just make up hmm. and world build to help like fit that theme you like making hard rules for your your worlds i've noticed yeah i do uh i feel like <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that just draws you into the world more. Like Beastlands is very much a world where you have these like companion beasts, but they don't have like any magical powers. As cool as it would be to have these like elemental beasts and stuff, like I tried to make an original take where they don't have any magical powers, they can die. So I got to stick by that for the full series now. But I I feel like giving, uh, giving some like strict world building rules will just help your world that you're trying to create feel more real. I'll tell you what, knowing that the Keepers can die in that series, I turned the page for one of the issues that you sent us, and I audibly gasped, and I got so mad, and then I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I know you're talking about issue three. That threw a lot of people off. Yep, yeah. yep. I was like, oh, don't you do it. <laughs> and uh, you'll have to read it to find out what happens there, people. All right, uh, let's see here. Are you ready for a for for a deep question? You ready to get a little personal? Yeah, let's do it. All right. The sample pages for slightly exaggerated uh, the Kickstarter feature one of your characters contemplating their death, saying that they don't want to be forgotten. With that in mind, what's one thing you'd like people to remember about you when it's your turn to leave this plane of existence? Ah, that is a deep one. Uh, you know, <laughs> y- you would hope that uh, I think my stories will hopefully be around much longer after I'm gone. So if, if somebody could get enjoyment out of my stories when I'm gone and maybe read, you know, read the full slightly exaggerated story when I'm years after my death and enjoy it, or maybe they can get something out of it to kind of think differently in their life or, or help them through a bad day, deal with depression, anything like that, then can't ask for anything more than that. Indeed preemptively launch a uh, Curtis Clow tome on <laughs> Kickstarter <laughs> for later. <laughs> Be like, you know, expect a date of arrival, question mark. Right. That's a great idea. <laughs> uh, speaking of art, uh, Pious Box art for Slightly Exaggerated is epic and arresting. How did you two hook up for this project? And can you tell us about your creative process for the series? Yeah, Pius is just a uh, great artist. And I think I found him through Kickstarter long ago before he ever did any other publishing work. He was just working on indie books. Um, and I just knew he'd be perfect for the story idea I had for this over-the-top fantasy world. So I reached out to him. He was naturally busy at the time, and and, and I just kind of winked around and kept this on the back burner and just kept bothering him and hitting him up until hopefully one day he'd be available. And, uh, and then, yeah, he was available, so we got to work on it. And I write full scripts for him, and um, and then he sends back just beautiful art. It's always a treat to... Uh, to get you know art in your mailbox from these or into your inbox from these great artists it's uh it makes your day as a writer it's like one of the best parts of the process and now we've kind of uh we've been working together for a good number of years now so it's, it's kind of turned into a friendship we're always messaging back and forth talking about stuff talking about games and whatnot right on yeah we get uh like a lot of interview requests and stuff coming in through our email and i, and I look at all of them and you know sometimes you don't know which ones to reply to, which ones to pick up on. Um, you know, you got to be a little careful these days when it, when it comes to bringing people onto the show. Mm-hmm. But when you emailed us and I opened up 
the uh, the books that you'd sent, like immediately, I was just captivated by the art. And I mean, epic fantasy is kind of my jam. Uh, that and sad books is <laughs> my other thing. That's uh, of- you know, that's both me right there. Sad books, and yeah. Epic fantasies. Yeah, anything that's gonna that's gonna bring on the waterworks or just have you kind of laying awake in bed contemplating whatever those those are kind of my bread and butter. But you you've been fortunate to work with some really really incredible artists on your projects. Do you ever just like sit back and just be like, wow? Definitely. Yeah. I, uh, I'm very picky about who I work with. I have kind of ideas in my head for like the art style of the story for the story I want before I ever reach out to an artist. So it's like I take my time and really try to find a great artist. But then it's also about finding these, like I said, friendships that hopefully will build over the years of working with them and people you get along with. And for sure, I, I feel super lucky. Uh, it makes your job a lot easier as a writer to have these amazing artists that you work with. And, uh, you know, that's half of the pitch right there is when people see that beautiful fantasy art. I think it draws in a lot of people yeah it, it certainly did for me it grabbed me right away and i was like oh this is a this is an email to take seriously let's actually look at this one <laughs> and then uh, the rest is history so you have traveled the stars in the wild cosmos you've i assume i haven't read it but <laughs> you've yep. walked alongside beasts in ortherian like grasslands in beastlands and surfed clouds on the backs of flying blue whales and slightly exaggerated is there anywhere else you're itching to tell another story? A haunted house, a tavern that exists out of time, a hellish uh, underworld overrun with demons, anything floating around in your head? Oh, yeah. As a uh, as a writer, you always have a notebook full of ideas that you hope you can get to, but definitely a lot more sci-fi and fantasy stuff. Uh, I would love to do something like a thriller or horror comic. That's something I've never done yet, and I think you could have a lot of fun in a sci-fi or fantasy setting for those. Um have ideas for like a dark fantasy uh, epic that I think would be really fun. That might be one of my next ones, but yeah, always sci-fi and fantasy. Love that genres. Uh, one you want, let's talk about Beastlands for, uh, for just a little bit. I know we got, uh, we're on the clock here, but uh, so for, to set this up for people listening at home, if you haven't checked this out, uh, I highly recommend it. It's very cool. Beastlands is an action adventure story set in a beautiful medieval fantasy world where some people have companion beasts known as keepers. Uh, in Beastlands, you'll go on an, on an adventure with a group of three teenage friends, Mac, Ava, and Ping. They're on a journey to find out uh, what Mac's father, an explorer, was trying to discover before he disappeared. Uh, and then there's more to the plot than that. But here's my question. I enjoyed reading Beastlands the other night and was really intrigued and excited by the story's overall tone. It, it kind of took me by surprise. Like it's, it's mature in its language, it's character complexity. Do you strive to create characters that are wise beyond their years or does that just occur naturally? Does the, does the story just call for that? I guess it just occurred kind of naturally. Uh, it's kind of a story about like three angsty teens and, uh, uh, I mean, they're, they're very flawed at the same time, though. Like, maybe they're wiser than the years, but you see him, uh, the main character of Beastlands, Mac, how he kind of mistreats his keeper and his friends. And it's, uh, let's just say he has a lot of room for growth over the series, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think he's getting there, though. He's getting there. A little bit to go. <laughs> 
So sticking with themes, uh, Beastlands deals a lot with fear of the unknown and letting the past rule your future. It also touches on themes of acceptance, uh, whether that's referring to receiving help from other people or forging a different path when faced with emotional roadblocks. What prompted you to apply these themes to a Pokemon-esque fantasy realm that's been corrupted by a Mad King? Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, you want your stuff to have meaning and uh, you're always putting a little bit of your personal self in there. Like, so it's, it's this fun fantasy world where some people have these giant companion beasts that they can ride and stuff like we were saying. But also you got to throw something deeper in there for I think for people to co- hopefully connect with it. Uh, that's all you can hope. And uh, you, you kind of see like the Mad King, how he deals with grief and uh, the loss of his daughter. And then Mac is kind of the main character. He's kind of coming from the other end where he's searching for his father. And, you know, he, he has the chance to become almost like a hero in this world rather than letting uh, letting his past or, or letting his grief uh, overflow with him and become evil. I really liked the touch in the book or the story point of the keepers showing up after like a great loss or a great emotional moment, kind of like a, like a companion animal, but it's also kind of a reminder of the event itself in some ways. Yeah. At least for me, that's the way that I read it very much. Yeah. It's, it's a reminder of the event and, uh, and yeah, it, it just gives these, uh, like lifelong, uh companions even more like meaning um but that that's uh in volume two which we're already like a couple issues into you you hear somebody in the world like a different part of the world they think that keepers only come to like the brave and the strong so it's like they have kind of these like tall tales of why some people have keepers and some people don't but uh that that's what max father told him and then uh after losing his father he, he that's when he gets his uh beast Man, I got to read. I've only read one through five. I got to read more of them. Yeah, no, we're only uh, up to issue seven. We did that Kickstarter last year and uh, I'm shipping out oh, those okay. books right now. And then uh, we'll probably do the next two issues on Kickstarter soon. Awesome. All right. I got to get down on that. So if the time comes for you to inherit a keeper of your own, I'm sure you've thought about this. <laughs> uh, what kind of animal or animal hybrid do you think would approach you? You know, I, uh, I very much uh, am a... Uh, animal person i love cats i love dogs uh, my dog is what really inspired the story she was like in an accident and uh took a lot of extra care for her so it's kind of like the heart of the story so I, I couldn't you couldn't go wrong with like uh, renzo it's kind of that blue saber wolf but also you know something with wings you, you can't beat that when you look at luna as like a panther with like ram horns and wings being able to fly yeah. around would be pretty awesome i think mine would be a giant house cat with aquatic features, kind of like a jungle cat axolotl. <laughs> if I had to pick something, I like that. Idea. Or not? Well, it, they they choose you, I guess. Kind of a, the the reverse Pokemon, right? Yeah, that's exactly. It's like the reverse Pokemon. They choose you. You don't get to choose it. <laughs> yeah, but you're stuck with me. It's too bad if you wanted the fire monkey. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so I was doing some digging on one of the Beastlands Kickstarter pages. And I saw that Beastlands has an orchestral score inspired by the story. Who wrote the music and whose idea was it to create music for the series? Yeah, that's uh, that's something like I never imagined having done for one of my comics is uh, working with a composer and having a full orchestra uh, theme song. But like, like I said, I'm a big fan of like games and anime movies and anime. So it's like I love I always listen to like soundtracks when I'm writing. 
but a composer named Nolan Markey reached out to me during uh, the Beastlands 1 through 5 Kickstarter. He's uh, local to where I live and he's done work. He's done a lot of amazing work on like uh, some of the newer Star Wars series and stuff. And oh, he, wow. he wanted to make a theme song for it. And uh, I worked with him and just gave him feedback. And then after a few weeks, we kind of molded uh, into that theme song. And then once we had everything written, then we uh, we hired the Budapest Orchestra Scoring to record it. And that's the, the video you can see on YouTube. And a couple of months ago, we, we launched a new Kickstarter to do a full soundtrack because that got such a great reception. So now, wow. we're, yeah, so he's working on a full, like a full album now for, for that Beastlands volume one we're gonna make a vinyl a digital version and like a cd and stuff it's really cool stuff yo i am a vinyl junkie i'm gonna need that <laughs> we're only making 100 That's... and uh we did not sell out so we'll have uh, right. a few extra but yeah no i uh, i'm just starting to get into like vinyls and stuff so it's so cool to that i'll be able to like put that on while i'm writing it's just a dream come I... true I just dropped two hundred and fifty dollars. Had it shipped from Germany uh, a while ago. Um, was uh, the tools tools latest album Fear Inoculum? Oh, nice! Like the the deluxe set with the like the holographic um, discs, like vinyls and stuff. It's mm-hmm. pretty. It's pretty serious. It was. Uh, I had like gloves on when I was opening it. It was really ridiculous. That's funny. No, it's like uh, I love those physical collector items as well. I think that's why I'm kind of getting into vinyls now. Like as a comic fan, when you get those like deluxe hardcovers and all that cool collectors yep. version stuff, and then uh, you know, like you could just listen to music for free on Spotify or Apple. But there's something about just having that nice physical touch that will yeah. like never go away. That I love, and I guess a lot of people do too. A lot of other people love it. Spotify has its place. The the vinyls I find are they're a nice keepsake and that the money that you spend on that physical media it goes to the band. It's better if you can buy it at one of their shows cuz then it goes directly to them. Totally, yeah. But um, you know, it's a <clears throat> it's a good way to give back. Uh if you're in a in a world and a time where there, you know, subscription services just dump everybody on you all at once, right? Uh, and they see, you know, fractions of pennies for however many downloads. That's very Vinyl true. Is a, yeah, yeah, it's a great alternative to to give back to those bands. Yeah, I feel like that's something that people are more conscious of these days. Like, uh, you know, in the early two thousands, it seems like everybody just wanted to download everything for free and didn't want to pay for anything. But now, if you can like keep these artists living and, and making a living, making more music, then I'm happy to support them. Yeah. Uh, Bandcamp is great for that, and the sound quality is so much better on Bandcamp than something like Spotify. Oh, really? I've never uh, listened to anything on there. Yeah, I recently I bought um, the entire catalog for the band Failure, and if you they they pulled their stuff from Spotify, but I mean I I'd, I'd heard it on Spotify numerous times. The sound quality is just it's night and day if you if you know what to listen for. It's, right, uh, it's good stuff. I'll have to check that out. Um, yeah, it's good. And they have um every first Friday of the month is uh Bandcamp Friday. So all of the all of the money that they make on that particular day goes directly to the band. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it's a cool thing to like set your your phone reminder or whatever to let you know. Right. Um and some bands really take advantage of it. Well, they'll they'll release stuff on Bandcamp Friday just to like lure you in and uh it works. That's cool. Yeah. Anytime it's uh, anything, anytime anything is more creator friendly, uh, you're just happy to hear it. Like for comics, anytime you see creator owned comics doing anything like that, it's cool. Yeah, for sure. 
Okay, we are going to do this thing that uh, we we all like to do on these interviews called the Fast Five. I am going to ask you five questions. I don't want you to think too hard about your answers. All right. All right. So just whatever whatever hits you first is is your answer. So here we go. You have to pick a class, and that's what you are for the rest of your life. What are you? A barbarian? Sorcerer? Cleric? Bard? Necromancer? Rogue? You have to choose. Sorcerer. Some magic would be really cool. That is a fine answer. I like that one a lot. All right. You are leading the charge into a fantasy battle. Describe the battleground and who are your three generals? Oh, this is a tough one. Uh, the <laughs> battleground is a, it's a beautiful fantasy landscape with lush green grass and mountains in the background and a bright blue sky with uh, some fluffy white clouds floating around. Just the opposite of what you would think this battleground would look like. It just looks amazing. Like we're all just having a good time. And uh, three, my three generals. Yeah. Oh, man. Three generals. Um, three characters, three people in your life, friends. Movie characters, anything you like. I'll take uh, the guy from the Northmen. Have you seen that movie? Yes, I just <laughs> watched it last week. It was awesome. <laughs> it was amazing. If you if yeah. you need somebody on your side, uh, I think that's one that's one good general. Uh, let's see what other movies. Uh, I'm just trying to think of other movies I saw lately. Uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, I'll take the, oh, one of the girls man, from that. S- <laughs> oh, it's a great yep, movie. I haven't seen that yet. I'm, I'm dying to see it. It's great, amazing movie. Uh, and one more, uh, Batman. There you go. <laughs> I think I think it's a good squad right there. We got some power. That is a good squad. We got some vengeance. We're ready. All right. I think you're uh, you're taking the kingdom that day. <laughs> all right. What is your favorite score of all time? Uh, I'm a big fan of Hans Zimmer. He does like all the soundtracks for like Christopher Nolan films and stuff. So it's uh, it's hard not to choose uh, to choose him, but. I also love the soundtracks from uh, the Ghibli film. So Princess Mononoke is probably one of my favorites. Nice. Nice. That's one of my favorite Ghibli films. Yeah, that's, my, that's, that's probably my top one. Um, I think Spirited Away is probably mine. Princess Mononoke is a close second. Yeah. Probably a close second. They're both up there I for me. Say. Yeah, Spirited Away is probably a close second for me as well. Yeah, I think Spirited Away hit me the hardest. Like personally, emotionally, all that stuff, um, and I love stuff that deals with the afterlife. Yeah, no, I so. I, uh, I always try to see both. They do those like uh, yearly like theater releases where like they're in the theaters once a year, and uh, I, I just missed uh, Princess Mononoke sadly, but I always try to catch them in theaters just once a year. Uh, I saw Spirited Away and Howl's Moving Castle in the theater. It was pretty incredible. All right, you get to build a chimera. You can use four animals. What are they? Four animals. Let's go elephant. You got the size, the strength. Um, <laughs> four animals. Uh, a tiger for the fierceness. Uh, what else do we have? Let's go an eagle so we get some wings, fly around. <laughs> and uh, one more. I'm trying to think of all my animal knowledge. What, what else do we need? Uh some kind of paralyzing agent no no i'm, I'm gonna go dolphin we, we, we want the smarts here we, we need something smart all right all right 
Dolphins are a little horny, but <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> octopus, a, hor- a horny chimera could end up having a real bad day. Yeah, it could um, be bad. nobody ever goes elephant though. That was uh, I didn't see that coming. That's good. All right, last one. What's the one fantasy film or novel that first inspired you to love and create within the fantasy genre? Uh, one fantasy film or novel. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Boy and the Beast animated film. Have you seen that one? Yes, yes, I have. Is that the one with the um? Oh God, you're like you're 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 the sword in my soul. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, is from that. Oh mm-hmm. my God, my 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 wife hates when I say that <laughs> because she bald when we were watching that movie at that scene i looked at her one day with like puppy eyes i was like but you're the sword in my soul like, <laughs> fuck you <laughs> yeah no i uh it's a great movie one of my favorites uh and uh, that director is just always putting out great movies and that's awesome uh, you know it's just this like weird fantasy world where the kid goes to that parallel universe or parallel dimension uh with all the beasts and stuff it's so cool one of my favorites have you seen Summer Wars? Yes. Yep. Okay. That's one of that's one of my personal favorites. Yeah, another great. Did you see his newest one, Bell, that came out a few months ago? I just bought it on Blu-ray like two weeks ago. I haven't gotten to it yet, but we have it in the house. Ah, it's a great. Yeah, another amazing one. I'm looking forward to that. I want to check out Bubble on Netflix. Um, and what was the other one that I'm dying to see? I don't know. I yeah, remember. Bubble. So I haven't seen Bubble, but that looks good. Uh, I'm going to go watch a, a new one that's in theaters for like one night tonight. It's called The Fortune of Lady... Favor the Fortune of Lady Nakuno, I think it's called. It looks good. But, Sweet. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, before we get out of here, would you like to tell our listeners where they can find you and your work online and then feel free to plug any uh, anything you'd like, anything you got going on, Kickstarter stuff, whatever you please. Yeah, I'm at Curtis Clow on pretty much all the social medias, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Facebook page. And uh, yeah, the Kickstarter is live or slightly exaggerated uh, until June 8th. So you can always get the full story. All four issues are there. And Beastlands, we just had a slight shipping delay with Dark Horse. So the, they actually changed the release date. Uh, I think it's going to be June 29th in comic shops now for the Beastlands trade and uh, everywhere else, Amazon bookstores on July 12th. Sadly, like we've already waited this long. It, it was so cool to have it coming up in two weeks in comic shops. But another slight delay, another four or another two weeks added on to that now. But almost here. Uh, and that's for issues one through five uh, collected and trade by Dark Horse. Fantastic. That's awesome. Uh, I will put a link in the show notes for anybody that wants to go and check out that Kickstarter. I highly recommend it. Slightly exaggerated looks just outstanding. And there's, there's sample pages on there. So you can get a little taste of, uh, what's to come. And yeah. So Curtis, I want to thank you for joining us for this little, uh, hangout session. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah, um, hang out for a bit. I'm gonna I'm gonna say the things, but um, don't go anywhere just yet. You and I will talk and say goodbye off air. Sounds good. <laughs> but uh, for everybody else, thank you so much for joining us. We will be back on Wednesday with a brand new episode of the Talking Comics podcast. Until then, to be continued. <laughs>